today on the Terrible Warriors, we continue our journey through Gen Con. And when you're at Gen Con for the very first time, it can feel very overwhelming, and our recommendation is to go find a booth with all your friends at. Hang out at that booth. Loiter around that booth until they acknowledge your presence and sit down to talk to you for 20 or so minutes. That's exactly what happened at the Modifi- Actually, that's not true. I did call ahead. They knew I was coming. They were very accommodating and were able to give me uh, a, a lot of their time to talk about products that are not just Star Trek adventures. Of course, that's all I want to talk about. But of course, Modifius makes a lot more games like John Carter from Mars, the Fallout Wastelands game, and the newly announced Fallout Tabletop. Of course, Conan and Skyrim and... Well... We'll get into it. In the next hour, you're going to hear me chat with, first, Aaron Paulier, who's a writer on Star Trek Adventures and was one of the consultants on our Night Witches game that we did. The Star Trek Adventures Alpha Quadrant book has just come out, and Aaron's got some content in there. Also, a bit of a spoiler alert warning, we get into Star Trek Discovery and our theories about Picard, because when two Trekkies meet in a hallway, that's just what's going to happen. We also get to sit down with Modifius founder and CEO Chris Birch to talk about uh, Acton Cthulhu and Fallout and all of the wonderful, cool games that they're working on and, and their experience with the IPs that they've been working with and how it's been like working with CBS and Bethesda. And finally, on the last day of Gen Con, we got to sit with Sam Webb, the director of RPG development at Modifius, where we talk a little bit more about Star Trek Adventures, because this is Justin you're talking to, and as well as all of the other interesting games they're working on, and he gives us a pitch on John Carter from Mars if you're not already sold on that. That's what you can expect over the course of this next hour. So, once again, thank you to everyone at Modifius for letting me drag these people away from your booth in the middle of Gen Con to talk to them. And we start first with our good friend, Aaron Pollier. Hey, Aaron Pollier, you are yep, you're Aaron. a terrible warrior now. I guess I am. I've, I've always been pretty terrible. So. so you're only here at Gen Con for the one day. Uh, yeah. How has it been for you? It's been really busy. I haven't even been signed up for any games to play myself. It's just me been walking around the dealer room and talking to people and, and trying new games, really. But mainly hanging out the Modifius booth. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, the Modifius booth has been fun. It's been busy the whole time I've been here. I can't get my hands on an Alpha Quadrant book because it keeps selling out before I arrive. Yeah. <laughs> Any Anything catch your eye here on the floor as you've been walking around? Or how's, how's it been feeling for you? It's been pretty good. I mean, I, I saw the new Fallout stuff that Modifius yeah, yeah, has. Yeah. I, I obviously picked that up right away. Um, my wife loves Ticket to Ride, so I picked up the new Ticket to Ride London, I which saw. is like a little, little game. There was a little Borderlands card game that I saw that was like Tiny Tina's Tea Party. And, okay, I'm going to have to get that. That's adorable. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. seeing a lot of um, uh, licensed board games this year. There's a Die Hard one. There's a Little Trouble in China, or Trouble in Little China one. And, yeah. Uh, and it's just, it, it seems to be just a trend where uh, uh, the IP holders must be just like, all these other ones are doing so well. Open up the floodgates. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what a lot of it's. It does seem to be just like movies or, or television, that if, if something's based on an IP, it's going to have an automatic locked-in audience. Well, it used to be not that long ago that if it was a game that had an IP, it was a cheaper game. Yes. Uh, and that was certainly true with video games. It was certainly true with board games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know... Modifius played a big part in breaking that trend. Yeah, I, I do. I, I agree because Star Trek really turned out very well. I, I don't have anything 
negative to say about the previous incarnations no. of the Star Trek game, like role playing games? Do, I, do, I never got a chance to enjoy it myself, but uh, uh, one of my friends who's really into like a collection of old like vintage retro yeah. RPGs is that it was just it was very unwieldy mm-hmm. and it would overwhelm a player and GM. I agree. Like the last Unicorn stuff, which, uh, is, which is similar to that whole era too of Cyberpunk and, and Shadowrun as yeah. well. Those were just overwhelming games. I think out of out of all the previous Star Trek games, I think I liked the FASA one the most, which is really old. And I'm sure there's people that listen that that remember that very well. I actually, when FASA closed down, FASA was based out of Chicago, and when they went bust, they just tossed everything into dumpsters and. There were people that knew when they were throwing them into the dumpsters, so there were people that got out original artwork and things from wow. all those original. And I ended up getting like a few of those, including the original artwork of the Gorn inside the the FASA. Uh, that's so cool. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just I'm just looking because we're standing right next to the Modiphius booth, uh, and uh, they got the Fallout IP, they've got the Elder Scrolls IP. Uh, obviously, they got Star Trek. There's Thunderbirds, and mm-hmm. it's Conan. just you know, Modiphius is getting that reputation now mm-hmm. of. Uh, you can trust us with your product. Yeah, and we're always going to put out a quality thing that people are really going to like. You know, good art, good layout, good editing. Yeah, it's it's all there. The Alpha Quadrant book is out, and is out. that's the one I don't have yet. Uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to getting it and chewing it and reading it. I know you've written some stuff in there. Do you want to yes. give us a little tease? Um, well, there's a couple Tholian ships. One you should recognize from the original series. It's the Tholian web spinner. Yeah, but I have... Tholians are almost entirely out of frame, though, right? Like they, they make a couple of appearances, but they're, they're very mysterious. They're mentioned a lot in Deep Space Nine, but always to the side. They're, they're, you see them in one original series episode and one Enterprise episode. Yeah. So, but but they're a fan like the favorite. Breen. They're they're yeah. they're like they're they're just this. They're one of those. They're they're on the edge of what we have, and they're really threatening. And they're they're usually mentioned in a well. We don't want to get their attention. Yeah, and it's like the Gorn as well. Like the fans love the Gorn, even though once again I think they've only appeared in two episodes total. But you want to flush them out because they're clearly powerful in the universe. But they're just off to the side where the Federation is only just really dealing with them. Even. Even by next gen, the Tholians are still pretty much unknown. So I put in, I decided to write another Tholian ship, uh, a, a new unique Tholian ship that oh, CBS really cool. approved. And so, oh, and it did get, I mean, of course, it would have had yeah. to be. Yeah, they had, they had to look at it. And I, I, is it a weaver? Instead of a web spinner, like which is the smaller one, it's a weaver. So it's a, it's a larger Tholian vessel that's more akin to the Ambassador class in size than the little tiny web spinners that enterprise encountered in the original series and i'm I'm pretty sure i wrote one well i know i wrote one that's cardassian that's unique i forget what i named it it's uh a unique name and i know i did a ferengi vessel that is also a larger ferengi vessel oh neat there's like yeah yeah. there's like uh, besides the shuttlecraft and the big crescent ship there's there's almost that's nothing yeah is that really it's just the two it's just those two uh so i I built another one that's more of a um a long-range Cruiser. I want to say something more yeah, akin to the, the galaxy. Canonically, the, finger, the Ferengi do do deep space exploration. Yeah. They're like the Federation. They go out and reach other places, but yes. but then they go there and they immediately sell them all the technology. And that's yes. that's how you got the um, uh, the packlets. Yes, that and, was a, and, that was Ferengi uh, interference. The the species that has the lasers in the one um, episode of Next Gen. I can't believe I'm forgetting their name. It's been a long day. They had like a ship that had like mercurite missiles and lasers, and Picard was like, "They can't do anything to us, and they're firing on us." Well, well, 
why is their freighter then used as a model for alien spaceships for the rest of next gen? Well, yeah. it's because the Ferengi are going down. They're going, hey, you guys don't have any technology. You just got warp speed. Here, have the blueprint. And no, well, we'll take all of your ships and sell them. And we'll give you something that's maybe 25 years ahead of what <laughs> of your tech is. Of course they would. Of course they would. And we're going to sell them to all the different merchants all over the place. So that's, that's my explanation, at least for why you end up seeing this model reused in a whole bunch of different episodes. But yeah, anyway, new Ferengi ship, new Tholian ship. I'm really excited about that one. I'd love to see a picture of it. I haven't seen it. But... Uh, yeah. Anyway. I'll, I'll, I'll text you once I get a hand on this book. It's yeah, 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 yeah. Elusive. I don't think it's real. I don't think they actually printed any. I think they're just telling me it's sold out. I saw it this morning. I saw it this all morning. Right, I swear right. it's real. Dear um, Jim Johnson, listen, yeah. buddy, so give me a thing. you wanted to talk about... Yeah, I was uh, saying, like, while we're here, like, like uh, I got you on the... Uh, you and I keep going back and forth on Facebook about Star Trek and Discovery. Yeah, and I know, yeah. like, I'm excited about Picard and... I'm actually very excited for Picard. Yeah. I, I wasn't at first when I when they first announced it. I'm like, ah, okay, wait a second. You're gonna you're gonna do something with Picard, man. The man's a saint. Don't don't ruin him. Yeah, but, but I, at the same time, I was always like, Patrick Stewart is so selective with yes, what he does yes. that he wouldn't have come back here unless he had a story. And like for him, like his one of his most beloved stories was uh, the Descent with the mm-hmm. There Are Four Lights mm-hmm. and. Excellent. And, 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 but also, it's the reason why he's now working with Amnesty International and all the research yes. that went into that episode. So he wouldn't come back to do something like Star Trek at a time of his life when he wants to be doing comedy mm-hmm. unless there was some message he mm-hmm. wanted and well, Patrick Stewart wanted to share. I agree. And, then, and that's the story that they've written. I saw, I saw the little teaser that they had. Okay, the, the, there's the vineyard. Okay, they, they care about that piece. All right, now I'm getting a little bit of hope. And then I saw the full trailer that, that came out from Comic-Con. Yeah. And the more I have sat with it, wow. it has like a fine wine. It yeah. has begun to just percolate and age. And uh, it's just and tasting more and more better every time I think about it. Watching it the first time through, I honestly expected to see Data in it. So that wasn't the big surprise to me. The big surprise was actually Seven of Nine. And yeah. I can't believe how excited I was Which, for that. I was in like, hindsight, what? is wow. super obvious. Yes. He and obvious. he and, uh, and Seven of Nine have such a shared mm-hmm. uh, understanding that, of, of course, like he... Uh, Seven of Nine and Picard can talk about something no one else really has a life experience. Yeah, yeah well, them and, like, the board well, kids. Like a handful yeah, of yeah, others, yeah, yeah. but yeah, even then, the, 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 the board kids didn't make it home, right? They yeah, all no, got they dropped didn't. off along the way eventually because they stopped wanting to have kids on the show. And then Hugh. And then but Hugh. But, maybe. But, it, maybe. Like, well, what the hell, right? There seems yeah. to be a single frame of Hugh being worked on. Yeah, taken apart. And it's like, yeah. what? And, and here's the thing is, did we see Data? I think we saw a hologram of Data. I think we saw before. And my mind of it is also Patrick Stewart, 78, Brent Spiner's, you know, he's getting on as well. And he didn't want to return to Data because of his concerns about being an older actor and all that. And I'm thinking the way they handle Carrie Fisher mm-hmm. and the way they handle Han Solo and, and mm-hmm. Harrison Ford and let them age, they've got an opportunity here with Data and before. Picard could be visiting before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way Patrick Stewart could be visiting a friend with dementia. And it's very it's, possible. And it, it's data. It looks like data. It sounds like data. It has all of data's memories, but it's before. And mm-hmm. and if, you know, I know in the comics they found a way to, like, unlock his mind or whatever, but that's too easy. That's too, mm-hmm. it's too yeah. much of a fan servicey. I would have a, a lot of respect if they just, even if Geordi figures out the positronic brain and they are able to make more androids, I would be unsurprised if we see other androids around at this like time. I would like to see that, yeah. But before... Treating him as a character who could be like 
data with Alzheimer's or, mm-hmm. or dementia, mm-hmm. where they're playing poker, it seems, but it's more like Go Fish, or mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's Picard going there with compassion, mm-hmm. seeing a friend, but his friend's not always really there. Yeah. He, and I, that could be a really... That could be. It could be a sad, it could be a lovely scene, it could be handled with such... The kind of stories that Star Trek does. Yes, I agree. Uh, but I, I think that one thing that is a clue in that, and you have to pause it right at the right moment when it's looking right at Data, you can see the collar of his uniform. And it's not the modern collar for Starfleet. It's actually the same uniform collar that you would see in Nemesis. Exactly. And here's the thing is, if he is before with dementia, it could also just be a... a touchstones of things he remembers yeah. of, of having an environment that is confident which is uh, you know there's a whole movement right now with um, uh, uh, oasis villages for seniors suffering from dementia where rather mm-hmm. than putting them at home you put them in a neighborhood that's just full of things that are remember. Are, are, are there for them to remember and they're with other neighbors that are also in, and it's and it's a whole community that's kind of built around mm-hmm. that support and let's extrapolate then 300 years yeah. and make what would be the utopian post-ableist form of dementia care look like in the a 24th big, a century. A big holodeck where right? the computer constantly monitors you and provides everything you need. I know that seem, might seem a little kind of 1984-ish, but in the end, a holodeck could easily take care of somebody with that yeah. kind of... And Picard is exactly the kind of person who would be the kind of person who mm-hmm. would visit his friend every week for a game of poker yeah. just to be there for him. And that yes. might be the scene where it's the last time he does that. Yes. Right? Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll say the, the thing that actually got a little tear in my eye when, during that trailer was the Captain Picard Day banner. Yeah. I was, oh, man. Well, that's... and that could be in the holodeck when he's be. visiting before. It could be, but then you think, man, if, if that's the real one, he took that out of the wreckage of the Enterprise D. Oh, my D. goodness. Oh, I didn't even... Oh, no, my it's heart. Like, oh, my Lord, how did he... I mean, okay, he went down to the lower decks, the crunched now, here, lower decks. Here, now, here's the other thing. There's a big mystery of, of uh, 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 you know, Riker and Troy are going to be in it. Yeah. We know Riker's in command of the Titan at the last time we heard him. Yeah. Uh, what if he's being sent to stop Picard? I think it's, and, it's very possible. Right, right? Like, he'll listen to you. And then Picard has to, like, number one, I can't do this. Yeah, I have this you, mission. I have to do this for yeah. them. And, and Riker has to... He, he owes it to his duty, yeah. and and he has his orders, and that could be it. Could be I, it very well could be the way it goes. I mean, we, we're we're going if, on it, very if, if it's going on right my now, my yeah. theory that too that that the if it you know he's a humanitarian Patrick Stewart and he's doing this amnesty and if it's a story of a refugee crisis, yeah. if it's a story of talking to the U.S. right now and what they're going through, yeah. which would be pretty on the nose and yeah. I think very appropriate and yeah. and you know this is his adopted country and Star Trek has always been a reflection of the state yes. of the US so uh, I thought it would be about the Romulans it sounds like it's about the Borg I think Borg refugees are even more great of a yeah. twist because the prejudice that they would have against liberated Borg mm-hmm. uh, as a community and not just treating them like prisoners of war which mm-hmm. is kind of how they've been treated up until this point when you free someone from the Borg they're a Vulcan yeah. or they're a Klingon or they're a human they're mm-hmm. not Borg anymore Borg when liberated, are more like just people. They're, they're, they were prisoners of war during the time yeah. of the hive. But what if they're keeping on like Q did, and or like Picard that he can still yeah. sense the collective. And we know that the collective, when separated, can form many collectives. Mm-hmm. And that might be the case of the entire remains of the collective, like mm-hmm. a shattered mirror. If there's a Borg refugee crisis, mm-hmm. the level of sympathy, even from the Federation, would be zip. 
yeah, no one would want Borg around just because they'd be afraid. Like, you can remove all the implants that the Borg have, just like they did with Seven of Nine. But at least with Seven of Nine, she still had... Um, yeah. Nano nanoprobes. But even through, adult right? Anakin Hansen is still going to look back and be like, I'm still somewhere Borg. Yeah. Just like Picard still somewhere is Locutus. Yeah, there's, those nanoprobes are still there. I mean, you have to even think. Even just the effect on the mind. Like, yeah. Even without all the technology, the experience is still there. Of being completely subsumed by the whole. That you weren't a person, that you were just kind of a cell operating yeah. in. Yeah. Which kind of makes me think, too, of like Odo and the Great Link and yeah. separating and just like the withdrawal he even had and, mm-hmm. and having to ultimately return to that at the end. And it's sort of, there's a really strong story underneath this. And, and, and I have, for me, it's, it's, it's my absolute faith in Patrick Stewart in that, yeah. that he wouldn't return this if it wasn't worth it. No, and I agree. Yeah. I agree. I have, I, I'm really looking forward to watching this. I, I, like I said, at first, before the trailers, I was, uh, I don't know. Yeah. But now I'm, I'm pretty sold on it. And it creates such crunchy ideas, too, for back at Star Trek Adventures. Like, yes. in the last year alone, now with Picard and with Discovery and with everything's going, like, there's so many... Your game from two years ago now is going to be so different today. If you yeah. uh, if you want to, if you want to set it in the twenty third century, you've got like even just with Pike and 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 with oh, that Pike. story, yeah. right? Like Amazing. you've got so much more to have mm-hmm. than three seasons of the original series. As much as that was, there was you've got so many different angles you can approach it now in that era, and you've got uh, and, and now with them going where we haven't gone before. Like let's go yeah. 900 years. Uh, here's that's going to be that's going to be an experience. Yeah, you know you know all about Andromeda. Uh, do you think there's a chance the season three of Discovery could be trying to go for Gene Roddenberry's concept that became Andromeda? Discovery wow. lands off in a future post Federation, and they're now the beacon of hope. And they try to tell that story that Gene couldn't tell Man, because at the know. time it wouldn't they wouldn't go for it, and I, so Andromeda wow. ends up being the side act of that. See, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I am not. Fully versed in Andromeda, I, I know. Just, I know I, enough. I would just love to see Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda story exist without Kevin Sorbo. So sure, okay, that, 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 that's there. fair. And that's I, fair. in the same way that there's so many things in Discovery where they justify it by it was in the concept art, and we're yeah. going to make it look that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I I could see that being at least an inspiration. It could, yeah. it, it could be, yeah, but I don't know. I, could, I don't know. I could, I could easily see a, a 900 years in the future type situation where there might still be a federation, yeah. but it's a shadow of its former well, you, self. You heard about? Did you see Calypso? Yes, Calypso was great. And you heard the, the, from the writer that the Vidraish is supposedly a uh, bastardized name of the federation. Yeah, that, that this people that this guy's running from are whatever the Federation is 900 years from now. Yeah, and you don't know if they're the... Well, I mean, you can yeah. theoretically say, okay, they're the bad guys, but who knows? We just have this like limited little peek into it. Now, I'm assuming that they are supposed to be the bad guys. Or some kind to of totalitarian or some yeah. kind of thing. They still have their Betty Boop, but they're subjugating worlds. Mm-hmm. And I, I can I can see even the Glorious Federation falling to that yeah. at some point. Let's bring if, the Federation to everybody. Yeah, well, it's bring the Federation to everybody, but it's more of like we need to withstand whatever big force is coming at, from, at us from the outside. Like, be yeah. it the people from Andromeda, remember those guys from yeah. the original series? Or a full-on Borg invasion of the uh, of Federation space, like it I was, mean, I like, don't, like I, happened I, in the novels. Yeah, I don't see it necessarily happening, but there's an opportunity because now Picard is happening between seasons two and three of Discovery, in a weird way, right? Like because yeah. Discovery is no longer a yeah. prequel, yeah. and and so I don't 
it, it might be very, it might just be Easter eggs, but there might be a connective tissue I'm sure somewhere in where the effects of Picard will ripple all the way to where Discovery has landed. I, I agree. I and think, I, and I hope so. Yeah, I want them all connected. They should be connected. Like, yeah, the sinews of Star Trek should tie everything together. It yeah. doesn't matter when it is. Just because of, well, including time travel in it, come on, all these big connections through the eras happen. Yeah, well, and it's just like, you know, the shared Star Trek multiverse and all that. Uh, Aaron, uh, yeah, I gotta, really enjoy shooting yeah, the hey. breeze with you. This is so much fun. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your time at Gen Con. I want to hear more about, like, the stuff yeah. that you're writing and, and what you're doing. And uh, Well, there's lots of things uh, in the works from Odysseus yeah. that I've already finished writing. Oh, cool. Uh, so, quickly, just, just shoot me off. Lightning round. Uh, what, what, what are we looking forward to that, that you're allowed to tell me? I'm allowed to tell you there's going to be another uh, book that has lots of ships in it. Ooh. Lots of ships that people have been asking for. Oh. So that's, that's all I should probably say. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. All right. Yeah, I don't want to get in No, no, we won't get in trouble. I'll, right. I'll follow that up with Chris. Right. I, I, won't, I won't tell you you told me. Okay. <laughs> thanks well, a lot, Aaron. Well, Have yeah. a great day. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your Gen Con. And, uh, right. I, thanks. I, I yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks, thanks. Chris Birch, you're very welcome on The Terrible Warriors. It's nice to meet you. Hey, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. It's not your first time on the show, but it is our first time having a conversation. Sure, yeah. Uh, Long time ago, Mike Dodd got to talk to you about this new uh, game you had just announced, the Tabletop Fallout. Oh, yeah. And it was just, uh, uh, it was coming out soon, and you were telling us how, oh, the the miniatures are real great. I can't wait for you all to see the details. And then actually, just to the left of you, there they are, playing it fully formed. And it's in this beautiful... um, uh, see kind of devastated um, settlement yeah. and a big vault in the distance. Yeah, like that Art Deco cool. bus it's, design. Uh, Adam Hreneke uh, builds this for us. He does such a spectacular job. There's all these little details, like a, there's a ruined house and in the attic there's a, a Mr. Handy box <laughs> that he came great. in and little dead skeletons on the sofas and things. So, so uh, it's safe to say it's been a great success since Fallout came out. God, yeah. I mean, we had um, teething problems getting it all out, and it was obviously so much in demand, and it was our first big miniatures game. And uh, But, you know, now we've got the new range coming. We've kind of managed to get through that first year, uh, and the game has picked up a huge fan base, and... We've just shown that we can create beautiful uh, resin miniatures to support the line. The people are enjoying the gameplay. It's found its own home because it's not your typical tournament game. It, this is a game where you play. You can play co-op together against yeah. the game. You can play narrative missions. You can play narrative competitive games. Um, Which for me makes sense for a company that had come from tabletop role-playing yeah. into yeah, miniatures yeah, yeah. that it wouldn't be a tournament game, it would be a story game using tabletop miniatures as its vehicle. Yeah, I mean, I, I always say we, you know, we want to be the home of storytelling on the tabletop um, and it's, you know, whether we do role-playing or miniatures game, I want I want a story to unfold with my battle. I can't just win by killing stuff. So, uh, And I think a lot, there's a lot of people out there, and I grew up playing solo games uh, as a kid because there was no other gamers in my town in England and I figured out how to play games you know with AI rules and all sorts of stuff and, uh, and I think there's a lot of people out there who don't have time to set up a three hour game with their buddies and you know travel an hour to get to a session that if you've got like an hour or two on your own because you've got kids you've got family you've got a job and a life you know sometimes you just need to crack out a game for an hour or two and just get that fixed so i think that's what we try to do is give you this really challenging gameplay yeah kind of basically yeah yeah (laughs) and and the elder scrolls the new game is going to do the same thing it's following them kind of it's like a 
son of Fallout in terms of the rule set. And um, obviously it's more about melee combat and magic and stamina and magic is really important. But that also is a solo and co-op rule set. And where all the organised play we're doing is very driving towards kind of offering the people to run the chance to run these awesome events that tell a story that's part of the bigger picture as well. So we love tabletop games, but the Terrible Warriors is an actual play RPG podcast. So yeah, yeah. we loved Star Trek Adventures. We yeah, ran great. through the whole first season of the Living Campaign, wow, and some of our crew went through at the end, and some of our crew did not. Oh, and it kind of left it almost like the end of D Space Nine with Cisco yeah, going yeah, off yeah. to be with the Prophets. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. this, it was a it was a gripping experience because Star Trek Adventures had such a great way of handling being in a in a in a combat environment where the combat doesn't have to be the answer science could be diplomacy could be and really letting each individual players play to their strengths. We had games where it was an old engineering crew one week, or it was yeah, all science yeah. because no one else showed up to the session. Yeah, so yeah. the captain's up on the bridge, and they're all just in the lab working on that side of the problem, that episode. And uh, Fallout, you've announced there's going to be the RPG the using the same dice engine that yeah, Star Trek so runs we, on. Uh, yes, yeah, so we, well, we've got two versions. So the, the first version that's out now takes that uh, the miniatures game engine, which effectively is a D20, um, and it's uh, colored D12s that you know that you use as effects. So uh, a range, or a, good, a weapon that's good at range uses a green dice that's more accurate. A weapon that does lots of damage uses a black dice, and your weapon card just says, "Okay, I get a black and a green." So it's really easy. You roll your white skill dice to hit get under a target number. It's basically an RPG. Um, the each stat card for each character has all the special stats that you're used to seeing. So the war game actually started off kind of as a RPG that was a miniatures game, and so we did the expansion mode that gave you everything else you needed to do to be able to play an RPG. You don't need miniatures. Um, so it'd be I, like Star Trek Adventures, where the miniatures and the zones and uh, well, in in the in Fallout Waste and Warfare, that was an option for you. Um, you would play it either as a tactical miniatures game or you play it in the mind's eye. So you could you could use zones. The two D twenty version coming next year uh, goes into a lot more detail about like skills and um, a bit more about the lore and uh, and campaigns. But it's going to share the same campaigns, so you could switch between the two. Um, it's 2D20 is not um, geared towards being a miniatures game. Uh, you know, it's like my own thing with, like, you walk into an average gaming club and if they're playing D&D, they're probably playing with a big square mat with, you know, drawing out the dungeon and the encounters and people are mo- using their miniatures. And maybe that was, obviously that was very heavy for 3.5. Um, and But even so now for 5th Ed, you know, I constantly see people playing with uh, white clean mats and all their, all their whiz kid pre-painted plastics and stuff so it's uh, uh, I think it's interesting how we kind of split it out because I knew there was people who are really into the miniatures game who want to try an RPG and there were people who would be oh I'm not really into miniatures I want just the you know straight RPG version so it's also just you know availability of resources too right Uh, uh, for me growing up 3.5 as you mentioned it was all it was the miniatures it was the maps it was even the paper craft it was really getting into it but then off to college and off of my own getting people together it's just you know you have to keep it simple or you're playing it online you're doing it over just discord and you just having that ability to just tell that story and just 
track your own character with yeah. pencil and paper and not have to worry about visualizing yeah, yeah. it yes. outside of our imagination. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a bit like when I did acting Cthulhu. We picked up two rule systems, Call of Cthulhu and Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds, more pulp, more fun, two-fisted. Call of Cthulhu, more dangerous, more dark. So and it appealed to two different audiences, and I think that's kind of what we've done with the Fallout RPG. And we were able to get this one out straight away because the system's there, and it was a pretty easy conversion to to prepare it. And then we're taking time to get the 2D21 ready for next year. So um, yeah, I'm really pleased how we've done that, and it's and it also 2D20 is so versatile. You can re-engineer it from the base up. You know, effectively, it's two 20-sided dice. Yeah, and I mean, I uh, with Star Trek Adventures, I did enjoy the the way it worked with combining the skills, the attributes, yeah. allowing the players to offer their solution to the GM rather than me saying, give me a dex check. They go, okay, I want to do blankety blank. And yeah. they would combine and create essentially each time their yeah, role yeah. for that well, it, solution. John me. Carter is a kind of uh, more simplification still where you basically combine two attributes and that's it. Uh, so you don't have, you know, skills, you have talents. Um, but so Deja Thoris might you know use her the force for her personality to beat down a guard uh, trying to uh, you know stop her whereas uh, John Carter uses his might and uh, daring you know so it's again it's that flexibility of being able to you know create your own route through the story uh, bringing it back to the uh, Star Trek adventures and the writing, I was just talking to Aaron Paulier uh, before I talked to you, and, and I got to hear about the Alpha Quadrant book that is yeah. out and uh, keeps selling out <laughs> here yeah, at Gen yeah, Con. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was a, a you have original ships that have made their way into this book uh, with CBS's approval, and I was kind of neat there hearing that uh, they got to propose this new uh, ship yeah. and uh, CBS signing off on that. And How has the, with, with CBS, with Star Trek, Bethesda, with Fallout, yeah, what's well, it like um, working? Because yeah, it's uh, very it's, good. I mean, I think versus <laughs> making an independent IP sure, and yeah. working into someone else. Yeah, what's yeah. those relationships been like? Well, I mean, it always starts off difficult because they don't know, you know, they obviously trust you to sign a deal, but until you prove that you can look after their baby, they keep a close eye on you and as, as you get on, then they start to be more flexible one thing about cbs is they really embrace partners creating content that um star trek has very much been built on comic books and novels and video games and uh, rpgs adding to the storyline so recently seeing the trailer for picard and there's obvious it, it seems to me as a fan some bleed over from star trek online's uniform aesthetic kind of making their way yeah, into that and yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so this it's not that either is considered canon uh, yeah. but that there's this it's almost like a like a farm to work these ideas yeah, yeah. and let the very best ones rise to the top exactly. and I mean, they get for incorporated our, uh, for the RPG we created the Shackleton Expanse which is this big area of space where it's our canon it feels campaign so area. logically appropriate like like yeah, yeah. Of course it would be there. And yeah, of course, yeah. when you look at the, the, the actual maps and see where Klingon and Romulan Federation space, like, no one would go explore there because it's yeah. just too much of a hotbed. You would yeah, offend yeah, everybody. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so, it's just, I remember reading going like, oh, this just makes so much sense. Yeah. Like, of so course it's great it's that they embrace stuff like that and allow us to do that. Fallout, um, we've been very careful to stay true to the canon, which we're very good at with all our projects. And we, we have to work really hard to 
really stay on top of, you know, the miniatures are true to what they would be in the game, but... That's the biggest difference between Star Trek and Fallout. Star Trek being a television show, primarily, yeah, yeah. and Fallout being a video game, so it's yeah. another and it's game. it's very much only a video game. Yeah. They, they don't really have much media in other areas, so it's, you know, you, you have to be very careful not to paint the uh, team into a corner. Like, we can't just go and go, oh, yeah, we've got, created this new vault that's in Boston. Because the idea like, of role-playing a, a crew on the Enterprise is this unique, oh, you get a chance to be an officer, whereas yeah. the ability to play a vault dweller, you, you get that in the video game. So the, yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. RPG is, is coming at it from a different philosophy yeah, right, and yeah. the game design but it's yeah. still interactive media yeah. yeah yeah i mean they've been very good about letting us you know we created a new gun that is a man man handled uh, gatling gun that isn't in the video game but they were quite happy for us to have that as a little weapon option for fun because it makes sense for the miniatures game and um you know so we've been able to do this kind of cool stuff but there's so much actual content from the, the video game to create a miniature that we're you know we're going to be busy doing that without having to create anything new for quite a while so i'm looking around so between star trek and conan and john carter and fallout you're getting a bit of a reputation for being the ones who do really good ip games well i hope so <laughs> we, we like to think that um yeah i mean everyone works very hard um, and we, we were a small team. We're now 45 people, so we've expanded. So each each game has got its own team that works on it. And, uh, you know, Finity's got a team. Conan's got a team. It wasn't, it wasn't oh, that long ago, go back to the 90s, where if you saw a game that had an IP on it, that was a red flag. It yeah, was going sure. to be cheap. It was going to yeah, be rushed. Yeah, no, yeah. It was going to be just to grab money because, look, it's you recognize this yeah, logo yeah. and buy it board games yeah. were traditionally like awful with licenses and I mean Decipher were the you know were one of the one of the first companies not only but they were one of the first to show that you could do a great license game you know Star Wars uh, was a fantastic licensed um, RPG with the you know the D6 system and um, you know so they they did a really good job kind of um, uh, bringing it through last you know last Unicorn with Star Trek and stuff um, but yeah, I mean, traditionally, you know, in the '90s, there were, there were some real turkeys of yeah. licensed RPGs, yeah. and sometimes when people and they were just kind got of overwhelming as well. We've we've tried to play a few of them on the show, and there was there was it just they they bury themselves in their own words and their own rules, yeah, and they it's trying to compromise and work. And it's just like ah. I think also people were trying to dig dig to the bottom of the barrel to get a, a license. Yeah, we're just hacking yeah. a system that this wasn't intended for this game. Yeah, and then you yeah. got the license and you bootstrapped it onto the game. Yeah, yeah. And whereas, a, you know, yes, the 2D20 system predated the Star Trek game, but it still felt when I was playing it that this is this is very Trek. Yeah, sure. I mean, we one of my things was, um, I, I mean, I, I've had a lot of sci-fi RPGs where the starship rules are just so unwieldy that you never use them. So you end up kind of fudging it with like, piloting roles and stuff so it's like we've got to have a uh, ship system that people actually want to play and use and I think that's come through and also we've made it more about the people not about the tech or the the world you know Star Trek for me is very much about the characters and, and I think we were able to bring characters really to the front of the gameplay it's not about oh well the fact I've got a plus three phaser you know it's you know phasers are just a thing that everyone gets. It, and, it's a post-scarcity yeah. environment. Let's not yeah, think about no, those exactly. things. It, it was the talents. It was the uh, the the those um, uh, 
to, to use the determination points to be able to use your values. That was yeah. what it is. And, yeah, and yeah, you don't right. level up unless yeah, yeah. you actually have challenged or used yeah. or done something, interacted in any way with your values. So yes. the game is, is intentionally like... To play yourself. Who are yeah. you? Challenge yourself. If you don't yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. go after it. And if yeah, you do yeah. like it, then use it. But yeah, yeah. yeah it was just sort of... It was yeah. great, and, and it, it, for us, it, it worked out really well. Yeah, and, and every 2D20 game is a bit of an experiment for us because we're pushing the boundary of, like, can we simplify this? Can we do this with it? It's a, it's a bit like a car company, I guess. They take that basic model, you know, the engine and the chassis and the wheels and go, okay, can we make this a sporty version? Can we make this a family SUV and it's going to be rugged and four-wheel drive and really awesome and... Or can we make this a van, you know? So we, you know, every game, and we've got a couple, couple more uh, RPGs that are kind of announcing next year that are also 2D20 have gone in different directions. Um, or we've, you know, it's based on Infinity or it's based on Star Trek as a model, but we're pushing in a different direction to see how, you know, it, you've got to make the game fit the story it can't just be shoehorned in because we haven't got time you know it's, there's no point doing it then so it's every every new rpg we do is a kind of challenge to be like okay how can we make this really fun and you know come out of the box and i think i mean uh, among others the work that majefius has done if i see a game now with an ip it's not an immediate like eh, it's it's <laughs> okay well let's now let's He'll yeah, back sure. the curtain. Let's see how it is, and, and yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. it's built a, a, at least among myself a, a little bit more confidence because I do like these properties, and it sucks when you pick up a game set in a world you know and it doesn't work. It's yeah. just such a. It's even more of a letdown yeah, yeah, than yeah. than uh, than than playing some clunky other game, yeah. but. To, to see it actually then realize and go there, great, now like let's flex it out yeah. and try it. And yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, just yeah. been, yeah, that's all, that's my feedback. But yeah, cool. This isn't my interview, this is my interview with you. Uh, <laughs> Chris, uh, here at Gen Con, you've got, uh, you know, like the Alpha Quadrant book coming out. What do we got to look forward to? Uh, any wow. any big stuff here that uh, that they want to know about when I when uh, I put this well I mean out? obviously Fallout um, um, we've been showing off the Elder Scrolls miniatures for that game that's coming. Um, we've got you know City of Mist, which is the yeah. kind of um, I described it as a bit of kind of American Gods and it's just kind of superheroes in a new in a kind of noir style city um, that's really beautiful it's just come out in retail it was something I mentioned um, when I was like oh I wish I could have like a setting where I could do Watchmen-y kind of thing yeah. and it's like yeah it's kind of along that might work yeah. out well with Watchmen yeah, coming back out on HBO it yeah. might be really well timed yeah. and we've got Liminal which is this kind of Celtic uh, mythic thing set in uh, modern day England that's um, just here it's also in the Ennis as well tonight uh, we've got uh, well John Carter which is our big range yeah. that's uh, just come out in retail that's been a kind of passion project for me because I loved it as a kid and uh, gosh what else we've uh, I mean cults just really come out in retail um, we've also got legacy the little um, animal digest size uh, books um, kind of post-apocalyptic stuff and then and I've got a couple of really big really exciting projects coming next year uh, a sort of anime post-apocalyptic mecha game oh, uh, yeah. uh, which we're kind of just building up at the moment we've got about 500 pieces of art it's going to be a really exciting launch with storyline uh, sort of narrative fiction and um, audio dramas and uh, and kind of building up to 
RPG and miniatures, and hopefully people are going to like it because we've spent a lot of time on it. But, you're, so. you're you're pressing the right buttons there with your teasing words, so I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll be I'll, I'll I'll stay on top of that so that when cool. uh, when we hear okay. more information, I want to I'll be there first in line. Great. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Chris, thanks for spending time with no me worries, here okay. on the floor. Yeah, I've thanks. had a great time, and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you very much. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks. Sam Webb, you're very welcome on the Terrible Warriors. Thanks for sticking some time with me. No problem at all. So I'm standing here in, right literally in the corner of Gen Con at your booth. <laughs> and uh, uh, yesterday I got a great opportunity to sit down with Chris Birch. And we talked a lot about uh, Star Trek and Fallout and uh, where, uh, where that's going and where that has been and, and a lot of the miniatures aspect. Uh, but I did, you know, want to pull you aside and, and, and you know what's your role here at Modiphius and I understand you're the role playing guy if I want to talk I about the role, role playing, playing guy yeah, yeah. I have the lofty title of head of RPG development <laughs> wonderful so we did a lot of Star Trek adventures in the last during the living campaign for the first season yeah, yeah. and uh, got sucked into that uh, and uh, we, we had a grand time and then just today I've, I've picked up the cult book because they were like all over the Ennies with their nominations, and I was yeah. like, "What is this thing?" Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I know uh, John Carter from Mars is uh, one that has been on my burner of this has to happen eventually. Yeah. Uh, so tell me here, like Modiphius has had a hell of a year. Yeah, yeah it has. Yeah. Like many years before, it's always been a hell of a year for us because there's, we have a lot going on, even stuff that we haven't even really announced or talked about yet and that I'm not going to talk about no, 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 before no. you start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we've had so many releases, even just this Gen Con, that are kind of headliners for us and our fans, but not necessarily like ma- like huge, huge news. Um, we've had a lot of the Fallout Waste and Warfare stuff here, obviously. Uh, but then John Carter is uh, one of the things that is new to Gen Con from us um, so it's been out for I'd say probably a couple of months now at least um, and we fulfilled the Kickstarter or the wave one of that so like the core products the book the campaign guide the like the narrator's toolkit and all that kind of stuff so what can we expect there with John Carter from Mars uh, is it it runs on the same engine as Star Trek Adventures or is it running on its own thing so it, uh, I know Chris was real passionate about that that was like his thing that he grew up with that story and that yes, book and this was like is, yeah. this so, was the thing of bringing that story what could we expect when we open that book to take us into that world really pulpy like science romance really um, it, yeah it uses the 2d20 system at its very core but it was streamlined and made really pulpy in the development process. One of the things that I'm really proud of is that we don't just kind of reskin 2D20 and, you know, slap a, des- a Starfleet designation on the front or, like, slap a Conan on the front. We actually go in and, and do, a, like, a deep dive of the settings that we're working with and the, and the, and the universes um, and make the mechanics fit that and make them really appropriate with the, the, the 2D20 core at its base. And that felt really appropriate in Star Trek, even with 2D20, the, the, the nature of it and the way you're combining attributes and skills and giving the players an opportunity to show off their own expertise. And I thought it was a system that really showed off expertise in a yeah. way that other systems don't always allow because you're corralled into I need a specific move for this specific challenge yeah. and and Star Trek is all about here's a problem I don't have a solution for you you do because yeah. you're all experts experts and, right. and, yeah. and the way the system is, is even if I don't actually have an answer my character does they know more about this than I do and you yeah, can kind of yeah, play yeah. with that it was wonderful it was and it felt really Trek yeah. uh, and, and yet it's this you know the 2D20 system sounds like it's for you all 
quite versatile to yeah, modify I, I think so. modular between different settings. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was my two cents there. I just no, really like nice. Star Trek. Can you tell? So, uh, but yeah, but John Carter is, it's such a different setting from, yeah. from that. It's not, it's not an ensemble. How does it work when you're there with a, a group and a team? And because it's, uh, I, I don't know much about John Carter, to be honest, but I understand sure. it's, it's, you know, it's very, it's a singular hero. It somewhat is, yeah, but the stories actually lend themselves to a little bit of troop play in some of the different kind of people and places you uh, people you can be in places you can come from from like the kind of the, the green like four-armed tharks um to like deja thoris this kind of amazing princess scientist um to like kind of like okar martians and um the firstborn martians so you can have lots of different kind of ancestry and different types of characters there and it's all very heroic and like overly heroic so you're talking like expertise in star trek there's almost that kind of vibe in john carter but it's just that you are all incredibly capable people it leans into that romantic novel aspect you know so it's much easier to like overcome like a room of minions and try to get to the like evil villain it's making me um, think a little bit of our experience when we did the seventh sea where yeah, 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 it's, yeah. it's got that that yeah, that romanticized Three Musketeers thing, but with this pulpy '30s era science fiction veneer. That's it, right? Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. I'm down. Right. Uh, we, we we we've got a copy. We're we're I'm just looking for that tease where we got into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are the, some of the other uh, role playing? Like one of the things I was fascinated was you had the miniature set with Fallout, and and the miniature set when we first talked to Chris years ago was. You could use it as a role-playing game. Yeah. The, the, the rules were there. But now it's been announced that Fallout is coming out with its own, like, tabletop core yeah. rule set. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, how did that come to be? Was it just that there was just so much of a demand with the miniatures to do that? Or well, was- yeah. So there was a, there was a call-out from the community of Wasteland Warfare players who were looking for a role-playing solution with the game. So that's why we brought out the standalone expansion book. And, um, and that works very well and very intrinsically, obviously, based off the um, rule set for Wasteland Warfare. But we got the opportunity to, to make these role-playing games, and so I pitched for a, a 2D20, like a, you know, a, its own proprietary, like, big hardbacks that we're used to, and it delves into the history and the setting of Fallout as well, that some of the uh, standalone expansion here, does it touches on, but doesn't go into a huge amount of depths uh, to. Um, so we're developing that at the moment, and so hopefully next year we might be here with uh, a full like Fallout role-playing game hardback. Well, I'm looking forward to the sequel conversation that we have. Yeah, uh, <laughs> one of the one of the things that Modiphius I think has received, I think a well-deserved reputation of, is handling IP properties and yeah. taking them and not cheapening the product in the process. Uh, there was, no, no, we're, a, we're really a, faithful with this. Yeah, there was a there. Were, I think there was a, a, a time in the '90s, especially where IP. If you saw a game that was based on a product, it's kind of a red flag already that it was something else that got that thing bootstrapped onto it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm just looking here at your pillars around us uh, with Skyrim and with Conan, Fallout, Star Trek. Uh, but there's also original content that you have that isn't tied to an IP. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, so um, Chris started the company through a Kickstarter for Actun Cthulhu, which was his own IP, uh, kind of like a, a Weird War II... Uh, Cthulhu setting essentially with strange occult Nazi factions and you know allied heroes trying to fight the mythos 
Um, and so we have been updating it a bit as well and developing the actual IP a bit further in-house um, and then bringing that in line to our 2D20 system. So there'll be a game for that out at uh, some point in the f- not-too-distant future, um, which I think we should be kick-starting again, kind of bringing it to its roots again, you know. Um, so that's been really good to work on the development of that. And we streamed some of the beta testing on Encounter Roleplay as well, which was great fun to GM. I see a lot of the artwork, all the cover work that comes out of Acton. It just looks like a wild setting. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal, and it's uh, come like straight out of uh, Chris's head. And now we've got the line editor on it is John Houlihan, who also contributed to some of the original fiction. Few, you know, a few years ago when it started up, Gen Con has such a Lovecraft presence. Yeah, <laughs> Almost yeah. every other booth has some something of the mythos in there just something about it right and And taking the setting though and and, uh, I've seen Cthulhu in ancient Rome and I've seen now Cthulhu with World War II and taking that default setting of Massachusetts in the 1920s but moving it to other places around the world and it's uh, it's, it's interesting and exciting and it remixes these these ideas we're used to Uh, I also just saw there behind you uh, Infinity is a a sci-fi RPG you have right? yeah another Kickstarter we did a couple of years ago Um, and we've just delivered the wave two of that and that's a lot more than just the star trek adventures game without the star trek ip right oh yeah yeah Yeah. in fact it came before star trek adventures so the development and the design of the game was very much geared towards infinity obviously based off the tabletop skirmish game so combat and um you know acting in like there's the kind of matrixy type thing so there's like info war type stuff and that's all very reactionary based as well much like the tabletop skirmish game um so it's been more complicated than star trek adventures because that's what the ip lent itself to um, or lent us to, towards um, so it's got a, it, it does have more crunch to get yeah. into it when you need to yeah yeah absolutely and so does that make the game's a little bit a little bit slower in in spending time because of the maybe the planning that goes into yeah, sure. what your strategy would be yeah yeah can, absolutely can be but again it's still you know a role playing game at heart with characters yeah. who are just individually but then for a collective trying to strive towards a goal so um, there's still our usual momentum and heat or like threat as we usually kind of call it um, in there so you can riff off other people's successes um, and at this very core uh, still uses again the 2D20 system that I think is really flexible for task resolution and for kind of cinematic role playing, you know? it, it's a nice. It, it puts a lot of the agency into the player. Uh, I found to yeah. propose their their way through and navigate rather than it just being on the GM. We do this, do this, succeed, fail, succeed. But yeah. it, it's much more than. It, not as binary, I guess. Yeah, I love the kind of mechanics like in Trek and in, in Infinity and other games like that where you've got these like obtain information, momentum spends where you can just spend a point of momentum and then ask the GM a question. And it's like, I just want to know, like, do these things I'm seeing connect up somehow? And the GM can be really vague and stuff. Or they can just say, well, if you if they legitimately just wouldn't connect the dots, just be like, well, you don't know. Um, which is which is nice for me when I'm running these games. Is I, I can write a little extra detail. I don't have to feel like 
I have to find a, an excuse at some point to reveal it. Leave it to the players. Yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. can draw this out of me, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and if you're not interested, you're not interested. And we'll just keep blowing stuff up. But. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's great little kind of mechanical things like that that just help along the kind of cinematic nature of what, what can be a, a role playing. Can game. reward the player curiosity in a yeah. way that you might not otherwise see. Yeah. Uh, is there any other thing here on your roster, like John Carter's the new one? Is there any something that you feel like doesn't maybe get the, 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 the love it deserves, gets overshadowed by all these huge names that you've got at your table. Because I also saw, like, on the, uh, I only just heard about Cult uh, yeah. last night when I was standing in the Ennies, and, and it had been nominated for a number of, like, cover artwork and things like that. And this, yeah, yeah. It looks so beautiful and evocative and weird and scary. And Liminal is another one that I see on the on the table. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. What, what, what can I know about these properties? Well, so these are all one, uh, like, third-party properties oh, see, that yeah. we work with who are independent publishers. Similar to the relationship with Freely, then. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And uh, so we work with them to uh, kind of get to the like the main kind of bricks and mortars market, you know. Uh, so getting into retail, getting into distribution, and that kind of thing. So there's a whole host of IPs. There's some days where I go onto our um, web store just to have a look at something briefly, and I find a new IP that we're working with, or like a new publisher we're working with, and I'm like, "What's this game? I have no idea. I've not been told about this." But it's really cool to discover, and it's and it's really great for Chris to support these independent publishers. Like, sure, yeah, cool and, and it must be, like, from a consumer standpoint, it all just seems medifious, and it's not it always. Bit, yeah, yeah. And and it, it took me a, a, you know a few goes at to realize that Free League was like it's very its own entity that was using was partnering with. Yeah, and they flourish now, and yeah. they're going like sticking out on their own. So it's doing so well. I'm being heckled by our community manager. Who's here? Wonderful. Just, wonderful. Yeah, this, is, this is what happens when you're at a yeah. park. And we're just on the floor. <laughs> it's all good. So uh, working with Modifius, what are, what are some of the things you have worked on in this last year that you and your stamp on it that you could talk directly about? Oh, man. Um, so in the Strange New Worlds supplement for Star Trek Adventures, which is our next like adventure book, so these are the voyages was our first one and it had eight standalone missions that you could just kind of throw into your campaigns or you could like just play through as part of a kind of longer running like continuing voyages type thing so in that second one strange new worlds uh, i've got a, a mission so i wrote a full ten thousand words like mission that you can go on and uh yeah so i'm really pleased with that and what, which we know about this mission. What, what, what's, what's the uh, on the next episode of Star Trek teaser that we get? Sure. The elevator pitch is that a uh, Vulcan's uh, Science uh, Institute, uh, I can't remember the exact name, but the Exploratory um, <laughs> Science Division, um, has gone quiet on a planet. You walk into the system and uh, took some inspiration from real-life astronomical observations, and there is a planet out there that only reflects about 0.05% of all like natural light in the spectrum. So it's basically a little black hole. It's not a black hole, but it's literally like a visible like black thing. And because it's void. Yeah, and so you warp into the system and your scanners are on the fritz. Uh, so long-range sensors, are, well, short-range sensors aren't working too well because they're trying to scan this planet and that one of the key things is that it's just literally covered in darkness and that wasn't the designation it was given the Vulcan science team down there weren't there to investigate that so they've just gone dark literally so you've got to get down there beam down there and one of the overriding things about it is just is like not being able to see so it's that kind of sensory deprivation thing about finding your way through um, a really troubling environment because 
the premise of the book was all literally strange new worlds. So it was all... <laughs> just Could you imagine making that into an episode on TV where it would just be sound? Well, you could also like yeah. kind of two feet in front of your face. Yeah. So it's all like EV suits, lights are on, but you can only like it's really misty. You Sounds can only see like claustrophobic. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. So one of the like you say about flexibility for two D twenty, one of the cool things about that is like the traits system or like kind of the truths thing in our games, where it's basically kind of like mechanizing a little bit of the environment. So it's basically like saying, okay, well, it actually, when you're on the surface here, you've got this trait called darkness too which means that every, like, things that are going to, like, the darkness is going to inhibit is going to be, you know, um, the difficulty is going to increase by two for your tasks and stuff. So that was really cool because you just lean on that all the time. So, like, well, if you're trying to see something, it might be, actually be impossible or it might be, like, uh, the difficulty for, for searching for something will increase by two. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like you say, if there becomes a point where actually... It becomes stressful to be there because you just you because you can't see anything. Even your own teammates and your uh, tricorders aren't working properly. So you yeah, can you, you just get lost. There's no yeah. there's no landmarks. There's nothing to see. Yeah. yeah. So even like your mental capacity and even or faculties will struggle, and so that will make those tasks harder. You know. So that was really cool to lean on. And I'm very excited to visit the Silent Planet. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. Sam, thank no you so much for spending time with me here at the booth. Uh, no it's problem. been a very busy week, and I do appreciate the time you had. Before I leave, is there, uh, where can we find you if we wanted to follow what Sam Webb is up to, as oh, well cool. as with Modifius? Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm around the internet at RPG Webby. I like Reddit, Twitter, and uh, Twitch as well. Uh, we stream, um, I stream fairly regularly on a Thursday evening at UK time. Uh, we're playing a Game of Thrones game at the moment, a big campaign that we've, the, the, the whole uh, gang's just fallen in love with, so we're carrying that on for a while. It's basically like Brexit the musical, but set in Westeros. It's all a bit horrible. And, uh, Yay! Yeah, you know, a <laughs> bit, of, bit of art reflecting the kind of current situation. And it sounds cathartic. Up to, like, yeah, that's the what I was looking for. So it's quite cathartic that way. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm streaming a bit on other channels too. And then I've got a Kickstarter going on at the moment, the Spy Game, which I'm independently publishing. Um, so if you're on Kickstarter in the next few days, then look for the Spy Game and that we, we should come up straight away. If that, this comes out afterwards, I'll put the link into it anyway so you can send kudos. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that finishing up and seeing how that does. All right, uh, Sam, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your Gen Con. No problem. Thank you. You too. Special thanks again to Modifius for spending their time with us and to Aaron Pollier, Chris Birch, and Sam Webb in particular. Be sure to check out those show notes to find out where you can follow them and the projects that they are working on. Terrible Warriors is only possible because of the support from fans like you who go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash terriblewarriors. They get some souvenirs sent to them in the mail. They get access to exclusive debrief episodes when we're in our regular season, as well as higher up that ladder, you can join in with private games that we run every month. This month, there is still time for you to sign up and join in our game of Zombie World by Magpie Games. Follow us on Twitter at Dice Warriors. We're also on Instagram when we remember that that is a thing. And next week on the Terrible Warriors, we stay at Gen Con a little bit longer to speak to Matthew Orr, the creator of an independent success story. He's the founder of Wet Ink Games and his game, Never Going Home. Well, I had to talk to him based on the artwork alone. And you'll find out more next week, right here on the Terrible Warriors. <laughs>